Well, good morning, everyone. You guys look great. The sun came out, and it's like, ah, I'm a new person, right? Right? And I, I think it was, uh, I mentioned this last year, it's like, I think it was first spring, because I think there's going to be some little things going to be happening, and then it'll, spring will come again. And uh, anybody in here, like, when, when the flowers and the trees just go, your allergies go, right? And you're just like, oh, my word. And uh, so that's how I know when spring is really here, is the allergies start happening. And so anyway, um, thanks for being here today. And I um, <clears throat> want to uh, let you know that, yes, my name is Jim Newby. And no matter where I go, and no matter what I do, I will always be a newbie. So, and a little fun story about that. A uh, couple of weeks ago, I was uh, here on Wednesday night with uh, the middle school small groups, and I poked my head into one of the classrooms where the eighth grade uh, girls were meeting with Pastor Laura, and Laura introduced me as Pastor Jim Newby, and they all started giggling. About, and I said, yeah, it's my last name, is, and it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of funny, and and, uh, and then I mentioned to them that my wife's name was Pam. And they all went, Jim and Pam, like on The Office? And I said, yes, just like on The Office. And so that is our life story. <laughs> so let's, we clap, yes. Anyway, that's, uh, that's been kind of fun for us to be able to do that. I also would like to mention, I don't know where, oh, there you, so um, my daughter Liz is here, and I have a niece, Katie, that's here. You guys raise your hand, and my sister-in-law, Cindy, and Dan and Roberta Peterson are here today. Those are uh, Pam's folks, and so can we just welcome them for being here today? So today... Um, we're going to talk about, I've got a question and that we're going to just spend some time with. And my question is, what is left unfinished? What is left unfinished? And I believe we have the dude dad to help us a little bit think about this. And if we're ready with that. Let's finish up our deck here. People keep asking me, Taylor, why didn't you put a handrail on the stairs? My answer is I'm going to. Just need a couple more days. Couple more days construction. Always almost done. Come on, let me show you what I mean. Remember when I remodeled this entire basement, except for that hole, or that hole, or these stairs? I'm gonna finish, I just need a couple more days. How about when we install these new windows? Not this trim, we just need a couple more days. Cause every DIYer knows that once you're done, so is the fun. Pick yours up at dudedad.com. Yes. So what is left unfinished? I think we have a, do we have a couple of pictures too that maybe we might be able to relate with? I'm hoping we have them. Yes, there we go. Maybe you can relate with some of these. The unfinished mowed lawn. The, the project in the garage that you keep saying, well, it'll get done, it'll get done, someday it'll get done. Yes. Unfinished building, boxes that are just piled around. 
finished an unfinished painting. Yes. So what is left unfinished for you? Is there a phone call that needs to be made that you have been holding off because you don't know how it will go? Is there a letter to be written or a card to be sent to express your gratitude and express what that person has meant to you? Is there a meal to be prepared and an invitation to be made? Is there a story or a memory to be written down and shared with your children or grandchildren? Is there a debt to be paid? Is there an offense to be forgiven? Is there an apology to be made? Is there a relationship that needs to be repaired or reconciled? Is there a friendship to be rekindled? Is there someone who is sick or homebound to be visited? Is there a blessing to be given? Is there a gift to be bought and wrapped and personally delivered just because? Is there a conversation that you are avoiding? Is there a tradition to be revived and shared with your family? Is there a dream still to be lived? Is there someone who needs your presence, love, and compassion? What is left unfinished? On August 23rd, 1944, Sitting in, a, in his Tegel prison in Berlin, Germany, the late Lutheran pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer penned a letter to his best friend, Eberhard Bethke. I wonder what you write when you're sitting in a prison in Nazi Germany. Almost 18 months Dietrich had been in his cell. What do you write about? What do you say? What do you want to communicate to your friend? And Dietrich wrote these words. There is hardly anything that can make one happier than to feel that one counts for something with other people. What matters here is not numbers, but intensity. In the long run, human relationships are the most important thing in life. The modern, efficient man can do nothing to change this, nor can the demagogues and lunatics who know nothing about human relationships. God uses us in his dealings with others. Everything else is very close to hubris. For many people today, are just part, for many, for many today, people are just part of the world of things. 
Did you catch what he said? God uses us in his dealings with others. These are the most important things in life. So what is left unfinished? Not the task of day-to-day routines, not the schedules and meetings, the text messages and endless emails, but the most important thing, connecting with people in faith-filled and life-giving moments. It isn't about fitting people into my to-do list. It is about moving into the margins of life, the place where life really happens, where it is messy and broken and human, where the concrete reality of life truly happens not to fix someone or change the circumstances, but to be present with and for others, even as Christ is. To be a burden bearer, to share in the sufferings of another, to wait together on the God who sees us and knows us, and loves us and comes to dwell among us to serve and give his life away. Roger Scruton, who is the late British conservative philosopher, was considering the words that John wrote in his gospel when John wrote these words. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Literal translation means that that he came and he tented or he tabernacled with us. And as he was thinking about that and pondering that in his book, The Face of God, Roger writes these words. Tenting among people is dirty business. If you've ever been camping, we know that to be true, yes? To tent among is to enter the grime and bear the stench. Tenting among has nothing to do with hovering above or circling safely around. He does not exist only outside the world, but with a view from nowhere that he can never share. He moves in the world in a somewhere of his own. Tinting among is living, is living deeply available and vulnerable with and to others. The incarnation is the fullest picture we have of a God who wants solidarity with us so badly that God bears the fullness of human suffering. God comes to us not as a hovering substance, but as a human brother who knows fully what it means to be abandoned and neglected 
God comes to us in the ordinary, the regular, the average. God tents among us, embracing fully who we are, whether broken or whole, sick or healthy. The incarnation claims God is among us. God is with us. God is for us. John 3.16 and 17 seems to have become so commonly recited that I sometimes wonder if we've lost its truth. Here in these verses, we have Jesus sharing the very essence and embodiment of the Trinity. God loves and God gives. The love and the giving are embodied in Jesus Christ. The love of God is not a separate entity from him, like a note or a letter expressing one's love for another. God is love. The two are inseparable. Love comes to us because God comes to us. He gives up himself. He pours out his very essence and existence. The gospel, the good news, declares and reveals God's never-ending sacrificial suffering love. Over and over again in scripture, we witness the living God stepping down into a broken and lost world, living and dwelling among a sinful and rebellious humanity, then lovingly serving and giving his life away. Living and fulfilling the most important thing and leaving nothing unfinished. The Gospel of Mark in chapters 9 and 10 are two amazing stories about the disciples. And in, in the first one found in Mark chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples are making their way back to Capernaum, which is the fishing community of Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John. And this has become the hub of ministry for Jesus And once they get to Capernaum, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, what were you talking about when we were traveling? Silence. Silence. And the reason why was because they were discussing among themselves, apparently thinking that Jesus wasn't aware of what they were saying. And they were talking about who was the greatest disciple of them all. And I started thinking about that, of like, what does that even mean? What does that, how do you prove that you're the greatest disciple of all? And then maybe it was something like this, where one of them said, maybe John said, I healed four people this week. And maybe Simon Peter said, well, I cast out two demons. And then somebody else said, well, I raised someone from the dead. 
And it made me to start, you know, I started thinking about how obsessed we are with talking about in our culture who the greatest is. Who is the GOAT, the greatest of all time, the greatest football player, the greatest basketball player? And you want to know what I discover too? Is it always leads to contention. It always leads to disagreement. It always leads to a problem. And as Jesus reveals to them what they were talking about, he says to them, you want to be great, become the servant. The very next chapter, the story, James and John, the sons of thunder, come to Jesus and say to him, Lord, we want you to do for us exactly what we ask you to do. And this was the request. We want one of us to sit on your left and one of us to sit on your right when you come into your kingdom. And immediately it says, the disciples started to fight and bicker with one another. And Jesus says to them, in our world, there are those who are in power, who have authority, and they say to people, go here and go there. Do this and do that. This is not the way for you. Whoever wants to be first must be last. And whoever wants to be great must become the servant of all. So what is left unfinished? What are those most important things? And today we're going to be looking at John chapter 13. If you have your Bible, if you have a phone that you're using, you can turn there with me. We're going to read this together. And if we're familiar with this story, this is known as that moment of the Last Supper where Jesus is gathered with his disciples to have the Passover meal with them. This is how John records it. Now before the feast of Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come that he would depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper... The devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had handed all things over to him, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid his outer garments aside, and he took a towel and tied it around himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with the towel with which he was girded. 
So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, you are washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing you do not realize right now, but you will understand later. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no place with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who was bathed needs only to wash his feet, otherwise he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. It was for this reason that he said, not all of you are clean. Then when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are correct, for so I am. So if I, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example so that you also would do just as I did for you. Here in this upper room, Jesus would have three hours. Three hours. To finish what was unfinished. What would you do if you had three hours? In three hours, Jesus would culminate his three years of walking with his disciples. There were things that he wanted them to remember forever. And in this moment, Jesus, the guest of honor, sitting at this table with his disciples, gets up and he moves to the margin of the room. He takes off his rabbi clothing and he wraps himself in a servant's towel. And he goes to his disciples and he kneels down. And he washes their feet. Even Judas Iscariot. I think sometimes we wonder, and I've heard it said often, well, they had arrived and nobody had washed their feet. It was common. I'm sure, I'm pretty sure there was somebody there who greeted them and washed their feet, put oil on their head, and gave them a kiss on the cheek. Jesus wasn't washing their feet because their feet were dirty. Jesus was washing their feet 
because he's a servant. For those disciples, they will never forget this moment. The touch, the water. I imagine in my mind as Jesus is there washing their feet, he's speaking words of life to them. Leaving nothing unfinished, nothing unspoken. In these next three hours, Jesus would give to them a new commandment, a new community, and a new covenant. But he first had to open their hearts in a way that had never happened to them before. A new commandment Love one another as I have loved you. No greater love has no one than he lay down his life for a friend. A new community. I am the vine. You are the branches. Abide in me. And I in you. For apart from me, You can do nothing. And a new covenant. This is my blood that is poured out for you. For the sins of the world. And because of this, I will send the comforter. And he will come and he will remind you of all that I have said. And he will lead you. He will be with you always. I will not leave you as orphans. He loved them to the end, it says. Jesus is done washing their feet. He puts his garments, his rabbi garments back on. He goes and he sits at the table and he says to them, do you know what I've just done to you? How many of you know these guys are completely wiped out now? They're ruined. What had Jesus done to them? He had served them. He had loved them. And he said to them, I've washed your feet. Now you wash each other's feet. I wish there was a passage in scripture that talks about these guys getting together later and washing each other's feet of the conversations that may have been going on during that moment 
with him getting a pitcher of water in a basin. And together, just washing each other's feet. And you want to know what was happening during those moments? They're remembering this one moment that Jesus washed their feet. They're remembering the touch and they're remembering the smells. They're remembering the water running over their feet. And they're talking about how much Jesus loved them. And now them saying to each other, I love you. What matters most? What's left unfinished? I want to share my story. This past year, I had the privilege and the honor of walking with my brother-in-law. he struggled and died with Parkinson's. It was an assignment for me to be a part of that journey with him. And he invited me to be a part of it with him, as did my sister-in-law. But that last year of, of our time together, Steve was in a home He had fallen and broken his hip. And that just complicated things to where he needed to be in a place to be taken care of. And he had a wonderful place that he ended up. But for me, on Tuesdays of every week, I got to watch their dog, Jack, for the morning time. And then in the afternoon, I would go and spend time with Steve. And we would gather together. We would just sit and talk, and I'd bring them food. Usually it was a, well, it started with a killer burger. I don't know if you've ever had the bacon pickle peanut butter killer burger. It's awesome. That was his favorite. Um, Or we'd do a mod pizza, or we'd have a Chick-fil-A, always a Chick-fil-A shake at least, or a Diet Coke, which was his favorite. But we would sit, we would eat, we would talk, He was always so worried that he had things unfinished. There was someone that he just didn't get the opportunity to make sure that everything was okay. And just to sit there and assure him that everything was fine. But we would talk about our families. We would talk about things that we had done together. Sometimes... I was able to get him up where he could stand, and that was a huge accomplishment. But always to be able to scratch his back. And then before I would leave, make sure he was back in bed, and I'd put lotion on his hands and on his head. And then I would always wash his feet and put lotion on his feet. And we would pray together. And I'd always say to him, I'll see you next Tuesday when I'd leave.
December 6th was a Tuesday. And I received a text message that his time was nearing an end. And I was graciously invited to be able to be there. When I arrived, I came in the room and Steve was there. And I said, Steve, it's Tuesday, I'm here. And I went over and touched him. And then I sat down. And then in the midst of all that, I just felt compelled. And I got up and I went and got a towel and got it wet. And I went over and I went and I pulled his socks off and I washed his feet. put lotion on him. And as I was lotioning his feet, Jesus came and took him home. Nothing was left unfinished. For him or for me. What mattered most? For he and I, we had done so many things together. Camping, we hiked the Grand Canyon together. Did scouting together. Built sets for all kinds of things together. Watched him love his family, love his wife, love people so well. For him, there was really nothing unfinished. He ran a great race and finished well. Dallas Willard said these words. We are not called to change the world but to be a faithful presence. What Jesus calls us to is a consequential faith. We see what Jesus is doing and we passionately follow him, joining him in his ongoing faithful presence with and for us and others. It is not about changing or fixing the world or people, but rather it is about showing up and being with and for others, even as Christ is. Fidelity, faithful presence, is the ethos of the kingdom of Christ. Fidelity is the unwavering promise of the faith community. And finally, Reggie McNeil, the missional leadership specialist for Leadership Network, says it this way. We learn how much Jesus loves us through our hands, through hands-on personal experience. His love changes our lives from our hands to our hearts to our head. Through times of sharing with others, in the kingdom story. In that moment for Jesus, he knew the most important thing that he could do for his disciples to understand 
what their mission would be was just as he said, I've given you an example. I've given you the example. I've washed your feet. Now you wash each other's feet. This morning, I am sure that as you're sitting there, you're thinking of people in your life. People to call, write a letter to, visit. To let them know, I am with you and for you, even as Christ God has called us to walk this journey together. To serve one another. To serve a lost and dying world. By giving our lives away. Perhaps today too, there are those of you who have been serving and giving and being present and you wonder, is it really making a difference? And today the Lord would want to just say to you, don't grow weary in doing good. What you are doing matters most. Most. 